0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. In Christmas of 1987, my parents got me a present. And the present was a leather-bound Bible with my name inscribed on the front, Michael J. Manis. And underneath my name was the scripture reference Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Here's the thing, that was not the present that I had asked for. In fact, to be completely honest with you, it was not even a present that I appreciated at the time. Looking back now, what I realize is that uh, that Bible was a prophecy and a prayer from parents of a prodigal son who believed that their wayward boy would one day take hold of the power of those words found in Proverbs chapter 3. That when we trust in the Lord with all our heart, And lean not on our own understanding, acknowledge Him in all our ways, He will direct our path. And just over a year later, I did. In the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, I took hold of that promise. I began to trust in the Lord with all my heart, lean not on my own understanding, acknowledge Him in all my ways, and He really did direct my path so clearly in those first weeks and months. And one of the first steps that God gave me was to transfer my studies from Red Deer College to Trinity Western University in Langley. And and I think it was there that I first realized that when we trust the Lord with all our heart and He begins to direct our path, that that path has a spiritual destination. And that destination is His faithfulness. Because as I walked around the campus of Trinity Western University, I saw His faithfulness everywhere. I saw it in the people that I met, the friends that I made, the things that I was learning. I saw it in nature, the sun in the day and the stars at night. But more than anything, I felt it in this feeling at the core of who I was. And that feeling said, welcome home. That this place, this spiritual reality of God's faithfulness, this is where I was meant to live. And I've been Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in it ever since. I've never wavered in my faith. Now, the truth is I've had some struggles in my life. I've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with insecurity. I've struggled with discouragement. But I've never struggled with faith. And I think for me, if I had to trace it back, I would trace it back to seven pivotal years of my life. The seven years leading up to the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta. It started uh, when I was 12 years old. Our parents took my little sister, Delaine, and I uh, out from Red Deer, to my grandparents' farm near Yarrow to celebrate Christmas. And while we were there, my dad's older brother invited him to a service in Abbotsford where Ravi Zacharias was preaching. And that night, my dad put his trust in God through faith in Jesus. And not long after that, my mom did the same thing. She, she trusted God. She put her faith in Jesus. And it was amazing to watch how God changed them. But the truth is, I still had a hair-raising journey of my own. And it was kind of interesting because, on one hand, I was just amazed at how God was changing my parents. I was so thankful for the help that He had given them. But something inside of me, I didn't really think I needed God's help at all until I did. But in those years leading up to the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, I experienced some really high highs and some really low lows. In fact, uh, when I was like 17, 18, 19 years old, you know what? I had achieved every single goal that 15-year-old Mike Maness set for himself. And you're thinking, wow, this ought to be good. I can just imagine the deep, strong goals that 15-year-old Mike Maness uh, set for himself. Well, he- he- here's what they were. Um, be tough. Be popular be admired by the guys and get a lot of attention from the girls. Check, 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 check. Isn't that deep? Isn't that amazing? You say, well, those are silly superficial goals. I agree. But here's the thing. Listen, here's the thing. They were my goals. At 15 years old, they made perfect sense to me. And by the time I was 17, 18, 19, I'd achieved every one of them. And along the way, I was actually shocked that even attaining those goals left me feeling empty. You say, well, no kidding. Your goals were so stupid. No, but you don't get it. Listen, listen, listen. They were my goals. So I was shocked because those goals I had pinned my hopes on still left me empty. Along the way, I had some low lows too. Some of them were subtle lows and some of them were spectacular. So my subtle lows, maybe no one else would have known but me. See, I remember where I grew up, it was about 25 uh, minutes outside of Red Deer. Now, if you wanted to, you could get there largely on pavement, but the most direct route was uh, on on gravel roads. And I have this clear memory of driving down those gravel roads and thinking to myself, no one outside of my uh, immediate family, no one knows me. No one knows the real me. They know the mask I wear. They know the image I portray. They know the me that I'm pretending to be, but no one knows the real me. And as I was driving along those gravel roads, it wasn't so much that I thought to myself, man, if they knew the real me, they wouldn't like the real me. It was worse than that. It was this notion that I had in my head that as far as I could tell, no one in my life had the foggiest inclination or any desire at all to know, to even know the real me. And some of my low lows were more spectacular in fashion. Like the morning that I woke up, in jail with no idea how I got there. To this day, I have no idea how I got to jail. Which is kind of funny when you think about it, you know? Because think about this. Imagine waking up in jail and you don't have any idea how you got there. Do you think you might ask somebody, hey, why am I in jail? I never did. Because when I woke up in jail, I thought to myself, yeah, this pretty much makes sense. Which tells you a little bit about the life that I was living back at that time. So I woke up in jail, no idea how I got there. But what I did know is I had clearly been throwing up all over myself all night. So much so that as I had been sleeping in that jail cell, I had been clutching a felt blanket to my face. And it had stuck to my face like glue with the vomit. So when I woke up, when the police officer woke me up in the morning, I pulled the felt blanket off my face and it left a felt blanket beard as I walked out to meet my mom. That's a low low. And I look back over those years and I think to myself, the highs left me empty and the lows left me feeling lonely and afraid. And so in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, when when I trusted the Lord with all my heart through faith in Jesus, what I found is I had a new destination. So instead of feeling empty, I felt a sense of meaning. Instead of feeling alone, I felt a sense of being loved. Instead of feeling afraid, I had a sense of expectation for the first time that I could ever remember. Over and over and over again, as I've stepped out in faith, I've realized that when I trust in the Lord and he directs my path, that, ba- that path actually has a spiritual destination. And that destination is faithfulness. I've seen it over and over again. He's worked miracles in my life. Speaking of Ravi Zacharias, I love the way that he describes the miracle when Jesus turned the water into wine. He says this, Capturing the beauty of the conversion of the water into wine, the poet Alexander Pope said, The conscious water saw its master and blushed. That sublime description could be reworked to explain each one of his miracles. Was it any different in principle for a broken body to mend at the command of its maker? Was it far-fetched for the creator of the universe who fashioned matter out of nothing to multiply bread for the crowd? Was it not within the power of the one who called all the molecules into existence to interlock them that they might bear his footsteps? You get what I'm saying? I'm the water turned into wine. I'm the broken body made whole. I'm the bread multiplied exponentially by the touch of the master's End. again and again and again in my life, as I have stepped out in faith, I have seen him respond in faithfulness. And I will never, ever forget it. But the truth is, some people do. I was asking myself this week why that happens. And I guess the, the best illustration that I could give you would be um, if you take a fish and you put the fish on the shore, Well, now that fish is flopping and fussing and struggling, and quite literally, that fish is dying. But then you take that fish off the shore and you place that fish into the water, and what happens? Well, now that that fish is swimming, that fish is breathing, that fish is moving, that fish is living. But I wonder if after a few days or a few months or even a couple of years, if you went back to that same fish and talked to that fish. I'm not saying that you can talk to fish, but let's just say you could. And you talk to that fish and you, and you say, hey, how's the water? I wonder if there's a point in that fish's life when it forgets the beauty of the water. When, 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 it, when, when it forgets that this water is its home, that it can live and, and move and breathe in that water. And I wonder if spiritually speaking, you and I can be a little bit like that sometimes. That sometimes we're living our lives and we're trying to do it all on our own and 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 we're flopping and we're fussing and we're struggling and we feel empty, alone, and afraid. And then at some point in our life, Jesus saves us and he places us on a new path, and we end up in this new destination, and that destination is his faithfulness. And I wonder if we get in there and we all of a sudden realize, man, I can move, I can breathe, I can live. This is home. But I wonder if as the days go by and the weeks go by and the months go by and the years go by, I wonder if from time to time we forget the beauty of his faithfulness. We we, we, we forget that this is our home, that this is where we live, this is where we move, this is where we breathe, this is where we were meant to be. And I bring all that up because today is going to mark the last sermon that I preach on this study that we've been doing in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. It's amazing when I think about it. Back in January of 2020, back before the world was turned upside down in so many ways, I felt God said to, say to me, Mike, you need to preach a series out of Nehemiah. And he gave me a phrase, and that phrase was, it's rebuilding time. It's rebuilding time. It's rebuilding time. And I remember thinking back in January of 2020, man, I I wonder what we're rebuilding. I wonder what this rebuilding time is all about. And now in November of 2020, I get it. We're rebuilding everything. That's what we're rebuilding, everything. And so it's been an awesome study in the book of Nehemiah. And I just want to take a second and I want to turn your attention to next week for just a moment. Man, I can't wait until next week. Next week, we're going to launch a series called Heaven. And I want to preach specifically next week, Sunday. I want you to mark your calendar. I want you to share this. I want you to invite people. I want this to be a major event in the history of Southside Church. I'm going to preach a sermon unlike any that I've ever preached in my life before. And what I want to suggest to you is that there is a someday that we can look forward to. There is a someday that we can look forward to. That there's something inside of you and there's something inside of me. That there's something inside of all of us that unites us, you know? whether you're young or old, whether you're rich or poor, no matter your nationality, no matter your language, no matter what you feel politically, there's something that unites us. And that's this longing that we all have for a sense of wonder. And I want to suggest next week, Sunday, that that longing has a fulfillment and that there is wonder someday that we can look forward to. But better than that, better than that, that that wonder that we look forward to someday will change the way that we live with wonder and joy and hope today. It's going to be unlike any sermon I've ever preached. Honestly, mark your calendar. Invite everyone you can. Share it to everyone you can. I cannot wait. But back to this final sermon on Nehemiah. It's really intriguing because the story of nehemiah doesn't really have what we would consider a classical happy ending or maybe some of you remember the story a bit that the people of jerusalem are struggling and they're flopping and they're fussing because the walls of their city are down and they're endangered and and they're vulnerable and they're afraid and then nehemiah shows up and he recruits a team and and they build new walls for the city of jerusalem beautiful walls and then Nehemiah calls all the people together and he says, I have an idea. Why don't we build beautiful lives within these beautiful walls? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then Nehemiah leaves for 10 years. He comes back and he sees that in so many ways they've drifted. We've talked about how the people of Jerusalem, they, their discernment drifted, their dedication drifted, and their delight drifted, and, and the same temptation, the same tendencies that they have back then, we still experience today. But I want to jump in with the final passage in the story of Nehemiah. Here it is. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. And then the last line of the book of Nehemiah, remember me with favor, my God. Um, that's sort of funny. I was going to actually make a joke at this point of, of the sermon and say this. Look, it, if you don't watch yourself, I'm going to find you. I'm going to beat you up, pull out your hair. And then I decided not to. And there, there's a few reasons why I decided not to make that joke. Um, I, I've made jokes kind of like that in the past, and, and sometimes they've backfired. Two examples specifically that I will give you today. I wanted on a roll for a little while where I thought it was super funny to make fun of guys who would go into the gym and do the inner outer thigh machine, okay? The inner outer thigh machine. I just think it's a funny exercise for guys to do. And I, and I don't know why, but I just started almost every sermon, I would just drop it in and make fun of guys that did in, inner outer thighs at the gym. Until so one Sunday... I was standing at the doors after church. You know, back when you could stand at the doors after church. Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll get back there again, okay? But, but I was there, right? And I'm standing there, and, 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 and someone's walking out, but, but they see one of the greeters on the way out, and, and, and I hear the greeter ask them, man, how long have you been coming to Southside Church? And the guy says, man, I've just been here for about four or five weeks, and I've loved it. And I look up, and I'm thinking, this is great. And I see the guy, and I realize, this is a guy from my gym. And he's been doing the inner, outer, thigh machine. I know that for sure. And I look at him like, have a great day. And he looked just a little bit sad. And I decided not to use that joke anymore. And and, and here's another one. I used to, I don't know why, but I used to make fun of guys that wore Lululemon. It's just kind of a funny sounding name. Okay, so I just decided to just make fun of guys who wore Lululemon. And then on another Sunday, before church, I was standing at the doors and a guy came walking up. And he was roughly the size of a small SUV, okay? Like he had muscles on top of muscles. And he walked up to me and I'm like, hey man, how's it going? And he said, it's going great, Mike. How do you like my shirt? And he did this and the logo was Lululemon. And I decided to myself, I'm not going to make fun of guys who wear Lululemon anymore. So I'm not going to make a joke of how I'm going to track you down, beat you up and pull your hair, okay? I'm just not. But it is sort of a funny description, isn't it? Like it's like Nehemiah, he's just, he's fit to be tied. Like I can see him muttering to himself while he's pulling these guys' hair out. If it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not one thing, it's another. And isn't that true though? If it's not discernment, it's dedication. If it's not dedication, it's delight. If it's not one thing, it's another. And And I think today I want to draw us back to that passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, because I think everything hinges on it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. That's faith. That's faith and it all hinges on faith. See, if our faith drifts, if it's not one thing, it's another. And I heard not long ago that if our faith is going to drift, it's going to probably drift first in one of three areas. Number one, sex number two, money, and number three, pride. And so I want to talk about those three things as they relate to faith today. And by the way, it's not going to be a lecture. It's not going to be a finger pointing. It's not going to be a judgment. It's not even going to be like seven steps to a stellar life. It's just going to be a story. About a kid whose parents gave him a Bible, Christmas of 1987, and once he decided to open it up, decided to follow it with all his heart. So let's talk about sex, baby. Um, Sex. So God's plan for sex involves marriage. So before I was married, there's one thing that I knew really clearly. I knew that uh, God said that you should marry somebody who also believes in God, who also has trusted in Jesus. And that really makes sense to me, right? Because you're living at home. You, you move, you breathe, you live in his faithfulness. And why in the world would you want to take one step out and, and, and be married and be united to somebody that's not living in that same faithfulness? And I should add at this time, that's really easy for a guy like me to stand up and say. But faith is difficult sometimes. Hebrews 11 says, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. It takes a lot of faith to trust in the Lord with all your heart in this area. And then after I got married, I just knew that God says in the Bible, I hate divorce. And I noticed right away that God didn't say, I hate divorced people. I hate men and women who get divorced. God doesn't say that. He says, I hate divorce. And and, and because I know that God loves people, it just stands to reason that God hates divorce because divorce hurts people. And so divorce is going to hurt me in the long run. It's going to hurt the people around me. So one thing my wife Corinne and I have always done is we've always asked how instead of if. So when we get to a challenging moment in our marriage, and there really hasn't been many that I can recollect. You can ask Corinne, maybe there was more than than, than I remember now. But when we get to a challenging moment in our marriage, we don't ask if, we ask how. So instead of saying, "Man, I wonder if our marriage is going to survive through this challenging time. We ask how. I wonder how. I wonder how. I wonder how our marriage is going to survive through this tough time. So that's sex. Let's talk about money for a second. You should probably take out a pen and a piece of paper. I got some financial advice for you and I'm worth listening to, for sure. I'm probably the richest person you know. I'm probably the richest person you know. I don't have a lot of money, but I'm rich. See, somewhere along the line I figured it out. Y- 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 you, know, you know what it might have been? It might have been the time that I achieved every single goal that 15-year-old Mike Manis set for himself. You say, but 15 year old Mike Manis was stupid. Yeah, 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 I know, but as I as I grow older, I realize looking back that 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 I did some stupid things at 25, that I believed some stupid things at 35, that I wasn't necessarily a rocket science scientist at 40 either. Do you know what I mean? So I look back and I think all those things that I thought were going to make me fulfilled left me empty. And so from day one of our marriage, what Corinne and I agreed on is that we're going to trust God with our finances, that we were going to give the first tenth of what we made to the church. And we've seen him faithful time and time and time and time again as we've stepped out in faith. And he's, he's blessed us with direction, contentment, and lasting inner core level joy that we carry with us wherever we go. And the third thing I want to talk about where we need to place our faith is in the area of pride. Pride. Every once in a while, someone will come up to me and go, Mike, it's just so amazing when you preach how you just tell the truth about yourself. You're just so real. And man, if if, if you've ever said that to me, I want to say thank you so much. Honestly, that's really great. Thank you for, for thinking to encourage me. But the thing I kind of wonder sometimes after someone says that to me is uh, what's the alternative? Like what's the alternative? Because I still remember driving down those gravel roads in central Alberta and I still remember the feeling of thinking man no one knows the real me. They just know the me that I'm pretending to be and I don't want to go back there. And so I understand that there's a bit of a risk to it. I understand that every once in a while I get up here and, and, and somebody says, well, I can't listen to somebody like that who's so imperfect. That's okay. Because for every one person that says that, there's 15 people that say, man, I just needed to know that somebody else feels like I feel. It's worth it. It's worth it. So what about you? Are you willing to humble yourself and be real? Are you going to hold on to that pride that says, "Man, I gotta, I gotta wear a mask. I gotta portray an image." See, we live in a world that really values authenticity, but I see a lot of people who skirt around that value. See, I think, I, I, I think for some people, they don't want to own their beauty. They play this false humility card all the time. Every time someone tries to compliment them, they just brush it off. Oh no, it's not that great. I'm not that great. And I want to really urge you, I've done this before, but I want to urge you again to delight in the beauty that's you. Not out of a sense of arrogance, right? But out of a sense of gratitude for the God who created you. Own it. You're gifted. You're talented. You're beautiful. Thank God for you. And then there's others who have a lot of trouble owning their brokenness. You know, that there's some imperfections in them that, that God has to work out. That's an interesting one because a few years ago, there was, this, uh, there was this catchphrase that people would use once in a while. And you would say, man, how are you doing? And they would say, I'm all good. I'm all good. Well, no one's dumb enough to use that anymore. And if you do, I'm sorry, you're not dumb. But, but nobody really uses that anymore because it just, it's just so illogical, right? But I do see a lot of people in the world today using false authenticity, and strategic authenticity. And I want to stop there just for a second, because do you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about a study that, that, that UCLA did, and they brought in couples who were struggling in their marriages, and they met with them for two hours, and they recorded the entire uh, two hours. And then they would track every one of those couples and see which of the couples made it, and which of the couples got divorced. And then they looked for predictors in those two-hour meetings that would suggest the couples that were going to make it, and specifically the couples that were not going to make it. And the number one predictor for the couples that were not going to make it, do you remember this? It wasn't shouting matches. It wasn't raised voices. The number one predictor was an eye roll. Well, I'm not a PhD from UCLA, okay? But I've done a little impromptu, casual study of my own. And I believe I know the number one predictor of people that are going to wreak havoc in their own lives, and in the lives of others. And it's people who are not real, specifically people who practice false authenticity and strategic authenticity. Well, what's false authenticity? Well, that's, that's like a humble brag. I, I mean, I guess the easiest example I could give you would be a job interview. And the, and the interviewer asks the interviewee, what's your biggest weakness? And the person says, I care too much. Honestly, I, I care too much. I work too hard. Man, I'm going to take the success of your company way too personally. It's going to keep me up at night. I guess that's my biggest weakness. That's false authenticity. That's just a humble brag. That's a, that's a brag disguised as a moment of humility. But the next level is strategic authenticity. And strategic authenticity is this, where, where you give people a little bit to make them think you're authentic, but you don't really give them that much. My friend Carson Pugh describes it this way. He says, for a lot of Christians, they allow people to get within about six inches and no further. So that's people who share uh, truth about their life, but it's not really devastating truth. You know, like, uh, honestly, i got to tell you something. Every once in a while, I don't stop with one Oreo cookie. I'm kind of a glutton. I eat like seven at a sitting. Wow, so does everybody else. We all know that, right? Or, or uh, every once in a while, I, I lose my temper in traffic. Every once in a while when I'm on social media, I feel jealous about somebody else and I just don't feel like praying for them. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Great, awesome. Every once in a while, I just get exasperated with my three-year-old, so much so that sometimes I put them to bed five minutes early so I can get a little bit of peace and quiet. That's awesome. And that's strategic authenticity. And that what, 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 sometimes when we use that, we use that so someone will look at us and go, wow, you're so real. I I want to suggest another level of authenticity today. It's described in the New Testament book of James chapter five. It says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's the level of authenticity I'm talking about. I'm talking about the thoughts that you've had that you don't want anyone to know. I'm talking about the things that you said that you don't want anyone else to know. The things that you've done that you would, you find them embarrassing to share. That's what I mean. Not false authenticity, not strategic authenticity, but actual authenticity where you say the truth will set me free. As difficult as this moment is, I'm going to step into it. And I don't mean that you, you just share all to everybody, but you better have one or two people in your life that you tell the truth to. Because the truth will set you free. Th- this is what I don't want you doing. I don't want you to spend the rest of your life like Mike Manis driving around central Alberta thinking, man, no one really knows me. So I want to suggest, man, if, if you're drifting in your life right now, Maybe it's in the area of sexuality or, or money or pride or whatever area it is where you find yourself struggling. And you don't think that there's anybody you can talk to. Can I suggest a program that we're just launching at Southside right now called Freedom Session? Freedom Session. It's not a, it, 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 it's not a, a place just to air dirty laundry. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of healing. It's a place of stepping back into that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 life. In his faithfulness is where I was born to be. And so, man, if if you might be interested in Freedom Session, I just invite you to text 604-670-3040. Text the keyword free. You can email me anytime, mike at southsidelife.com, and I'd love to hook you up with that program. But maybe it's not that for you. Maybe you're in a small group. Maybe somebody in your friend. Whatever it is, you need to find one or two people. Not false authenticity, not strategic, but actual. Stuff that you, that's tough to share, but the truth will set you free. I wish today, I wish today that I could give you a leather bound Bible with your name on it. And I wish underneath that I could inscribe Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Because I really believe that prophecy and that prayer made in 1987 by the parents of a prodigal son has carried me through my life in so many ways. And I know the same can be true for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. And spiritually speaking, that path has a destination and that destination is faithfulness. So as I close today, I just want to ask you, have you taken your first step yet? I, I told you a story early earlier about young Mike Manis and how I felt empty, alone and afraid. I wonder if you can relate just a little bit. That you feel a sense of emptiness, that all the things that you thought were just such great goals, they haven't really satisfied you. Or or, or maybe you feel alone, like you've never had a chance to be real. Or maybe you just don't see anybody around you who, who loves you. Or maybe you're afraid. You've been hitting some low lows and you don't like the trajectory of your life. And can I tell you something? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history and he loves you. And he doesn't want you to be empty. He wants to give you a sense of meaning in your life. That your, 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 your worth is infinite. That his love is total. And he doesn't want you to feel alone. So much so that Jesus stepped into human history and he endured death on a cross, to be with you today, tomorrow, and forever. And he doesn't want you to be afraid because not only did Jesus die on the cross, he rose again. He rose again. He defeated death. He defeated despair. He defeated defeat. So we don't have to live afraid anymore. And so the next step is yours. He's done all that needs to be done. The next step is a step of faith. And when you take that step of faith, here's what I know, you will see him faithful. So if you've never done that, I wanna, I wanna give you an opportunity to pray right now. If I, I'm gonna pray out loud and I just pray, I just ask that wherever you are all over the world or right here in the Fraser Valley, will you just pray along with me silently? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you stepped into human history. Today, I trust you with all my heart. I hand you my sin and my shame and my guilt and my regret. And I pray for forgiveness. Thank you that you died for me. And today I hand you my fear. Thank you that you rose again, that I can have the power to live the life that I was created to live and the promise of eternity with you. I thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Man, if you just prayed that, I want to say, uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You can text the keyword life to 604-670-3040. We'd like to support you. And if I can ask you something specifically, um, why don't you email me? If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, can you email mike at southsidelife.com? I'd like to talk to you because I'd like to, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to say a prophecy over your life that you're gonna trust in the Lord with all your heart and he's gonna direct your path to a place called faithfulness. That's awesome. For all the rest of us, man, let's go. Let's go. Let's get, he's going to be faithful. Let's keep stepping out in faith. He's going to be faithful. We keep stepping out in faith. He's going to be faithful. Let's keep stepping out in faith. And I want to repeat again to you. Next week is going to be unlike anything I've ever done. I actually can't wait. I'm so expectant. So invite, share, set a reminder, be there, gather your family around. We're, we're going to launch this series called Heaven next week. You do not want to miss it. I love you. We'll see you then.